Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 281, Episode 2 of The Daily Zeitgeist. This is still a production of iHeartRadio. It's still a podcast where we still take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It's Tuesday, March 28th. 2023. I feel like Jack wasn't really telling you what that what national day it is because sometimes it doesn't matter, but I'll just tell you what it is. It's National Black Forest Cake Day, National Weed Appreciation Day, not cannabis, but just the weeds that grow in your yards, American Diabetes Association Alert Day, and National Triglycerides Day. Wow. And something on a stick day for those of you that indulge with things on sticks like marshmallows or carrots or whatever, what have you. My name is Miles Gray, aka the Heartbro- Heartbroken Bruin. As I watched UCLA crash out of Gonzaga uh, on Thursday, but I am back and I am still Hideo Noho and I am thrilled to be joined by my co-host today, a hilarious comedian, someone who's doing good whenever they possibly can and a wonderful host. Uh, oh my God, you forgive me. What's the, the, the stand-up show again? I've been on leave too long. I'll um, introduce you first. It's Paula V. Ganalin. <laughs> Paula V. Thank you. First of all, that just reminds me that my triglycerides are high. And second of all, okay. carrots on a stick? Bro, have more fun. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> a carrot sorry. is a stick, dude. I... <laughs> oh, wow. So you would... It's okay, so... stick. If you're going to improve upon the form, you would put something upon the carrot. Upon the carrot. That's what wow. I'm saying. Okay. But like a that's that engineer yeah. mind. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> What was the stand-up show again that you host? So I have a city council. It's a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been real lazy about it, so nobody get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I get it. I get it. I get it. Holly, we have, we got one of those guests that come on. We're like, oh, we got someone smart. We got someone yeah. that's an expert. Someone who I can ask questions to, like, why technology making me sad? Because that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to be doing today. We have to inter- introduce our guest. She is the technology privacy and policy professor of law, co-director of the Institute for Privacy Protection, and co-director of the Gibbons Institute of Law, Science, and Technology at Seton Hall University, and the author 
of the book, Unwired, Gaining Control Over Addictive Technologies. Please welcome Gaia Bernstein. Gaia, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, and um, thank you for blessing us uh, on this second-rate podcast with your your first-rate uh, acumen. But yes, we really appreciate you stopping by. I like that she comes with her own uh, AKA. She had so many titles. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like those are legit uh, yeah. over here. I'm saying like I'm the Lord of Lancashire Boulevard. That's not a real thing, but for the people in North Hollywood, California, they know it is. But Gaia, welcome to the show. Uh, where are you coming to us from today? From New York City, all the mm. way. Okay. Okay. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about your book and some other technology things uh, as we get into it. But how has it been, you know, doing doing a few interviews, getting out there, uh, talking with interesting people? Are we the most interesting people you've spoken with so far without really being 10 minutes into a conversation? Can we- For sure, you're the funniest. Nobody's okay. been funny so far. <laughs> oh, okay, good, man. good, good. That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the funniest for sure. Okay, well, Gaia, we are going to get to know you a little bit better. But first, we're going to tell people some of the things we're going to talk about. First, the Pope's puffy jacket. No, he is not. His style is not that lit. Although I guess many people would love if the Pontifex was doing a Pontiflex upon us mortals on planet Earth. But we'll talk about that AI generated image. I I just remember some people, the evolution of people being like, I can't believe it to them. Like, oh, yeah, I knew that was AI the whole time. Yeah, I knew. I knew <laughs> the slippery slope that we're already finding ourselves on in the last couple of weeks with that. We'll also talk about Apple because it seems like they're also ignoring the total lack of enthusiasm for virtual reality headsets with their upcoming, uh, you know, mixed reality headset that I can't believe they're still insisting is something we might want. But we'll talk a little bit about that and the you know lack of confidence that some of the people working on it are experiencing. And then got to talk to Gaia about, look, I'm a new parent. I'm very aware of, you know, just how many other parents too or talk about screen time. I was raised by my mother, like saying, don't watch the TV. It's going to rot your brain and how all of these things have evolved. So I'm really interested in talking to you about sort of the evolution of our addictive technologies and kind of we're, you know, hurtling towards this very isolated uh, way of living because that's something we talk about a lot on the show. But first, Gaia, we got to ask you, Professor Gaia Bernstein, <laughs> pardon me, <laughs> uh, what is something from your search history uh, that might reveal something about who you are, what you're into right now? So, you know, I like this question because I remember going to a conference and seeing a slide and having the Google search, but instead it said, I confess. So basically, whatever is in our search is like what's going through our brains. Yeah. And there's nothing special in my search. Basically, it shows how my brain just jumps from one thing to another. Okay. So I would be researching a privacy class. for. So I would look for a movie about drones. Then I remember I know this person who wrote an article. So I will switch to Googling their name. And then a minute later, I'll remember that I have to feed my kids. And there's this fish in the fridge. I have a recipe, so I look for the recipe, and then I recall that I never got groceries, so I switched to Googling the Fresh Direct. <laughs> so, and all of this happens in 10 minutes. So right. really, this you can see how my brain operates from this. Sure, sure. And do you, I, it, it is funny when you can kind of look at your own stream of consciousness via Google searches, and you're like, wow, I had an I had a interesting two hours uh, right there from like looking at, wait, so what's this, what kind of drone stuff were you looking up? Well, I was looking up for, I teach about privacy and drones. And actually the first uh, time I showed my student drones, it was when uh, uh, COVID-19 
broke in China. And mm -hmm. I, this was the only video I found online. So I decided to show it to them, never realizing that a month later, this is going to be here. And mm -hmm. this was just showing them how drones can basically fly over an empty city and how it looks and how they take pictures. And it was shocking to know what happened next. Yeah. What, what kind of privacy laws are there with drones? Because I feel like it's, I get that like you're not supposed to do like fly drones in certain areas, but like in LA, I see so many people like in residential areas, like I'll hear the whir of like a drone and it's like, what the fuck? I saw on like the Murdaugh trial documentary, they had like drones that were flying and watching as people remove yeah. guns from the a place. Like it yeah. was like legit evidence and it was just a dude with a drone. Yeah, there's not enough. The main thing you have to do is register it with the FAA, but it's not. Basically, you can do a lot with a drone right now. Yeah. And Just I, a kid with a drone. Right, exactly. And I see like, but then I see videos where people are like, I took a drone down that was above my home. And part of me is like, I guess that's fair if you're using a bolo to take a, a drone down. But yeah. It's good to know. Starting early on the robot wars, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, already, I, it's funny when you see like people help, sometimes help the delivery robots get across the street. And then you see like the like Luddite type people who are like, man, fuck this robot. And like kick it over <laughs> and you're just like, just decide on one. Please. Miles, you should know that Luddites were a name for revolutionary workers. Come on. Man. Yes, yes, I know. But the, look, and just like we should be smashing chat GPT, we should probably be smashing them printing presses. I get that. Because, man, that's a whole other box of worms, too, in the last couple of days of talking like really earnestly with people about AI and some people really being on the side of like, it's a great tool that could make things so much easier. And as somebody who has been laid off before or look how budget cuts are made, I'm like, that looks like a way to condense like 15 jobs into two. But are we then grappling with the complexity of that? After. I'm like See? torn because I did work in AI in my PhD that I quit, but <laughs> I think like everything gets like automated and job security just like constantly changes as right. as technology evolves. So I think that responsibility, like definitely like the people making the tech need to be talking to policymakers more to prepare like the masses for like the skill changes that like, I mean, think about computer scientists now versus 15 years ago, like the like the the job market has completely changed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think AI is scary because of what we're going to talk about next, but there are good uses for it. It's just like people are, I'm like, I'm not going to be impressed with AI until someone makes like a single printer that works reliably. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't care about all of these advances. I just want a printer to work, you know? Right, <laughs> I want a PowerPoint to not defeat a professor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guy, how what do you how are you like what's how it is sort of AI sort of intersect with your work right now? Well, I think it, I I feel like the writing has been on the wall for a while. People are so shocked that ChatGPT came in and what are we going to do with students and how are they going to learn anything? But but seriously, we've just been incorporating technology into the classroom like without even thinking. So and suddenly this thing is there and it's the first time we're stopping to think and realizing maybe maybe not all technology is good maybe a kid would not learn if they as their essays written by chat gpt so even though i'm very concerned about what's going to happen i'm sort of happy there's some kind of wake-up call here right 
Yeah. I talked to some professors about this. I talked to a professor from Germany and he was saying that they do use like AI to write essays, but the ways to get around that is they have like rival technology to detect when AI is being used to write the essay. So that's what's happening in Europe right now. And I was like, how, how much is this going to go back and forth? This is like a kid battling their parent with parental controls. You know what I mean? Like trying to lock them out with the password. Yeah. Right. And that never goes anywhere because there's always a new technology and it's just, yeah, but the fact we have, we're faced by this and it's out there, like no, there was no warning. It just came, the chat GPT, and now we're supposed to deal with the consequences and there's no time to think even because yeah, it's out here. Yeah. And because I, they're, like I have friends too, who are like in grant writing too. They're not born writers, you know, they're just like yes. really motivated people in the field that they do. And grant writing is difficult. And they're like, it's taken a lot of work off of my plate. I'm not a born writer or like I have this literary skill to be writing like compelling things. It's much easier to use that. And I'm like, I completely understand where these tools, like how they're used. And then I have friends who work in advertising who are like, yeah, company clients are now coming to us with like half baked decks that AI generated. And it's like sort of diminishing the kinds of work that we're able to do even as advertising agencies along with them. I'm like, you see, you see where the, sort of the squeezing and expansion is beginning to happen. But yeah, it's... This like, is it's, why robots need to take over all of the labor and then we just get to frolic in fields all day. Thank you. You know what I mean? Let us, be, <laughs> let us frolic. Let us let go us back frolic. to the easier times. Oh, we just consume and sit on our screens and just like consume Wally. the internet and do yes. nothing else because Bring we have no work to do. I want Wally. I want Wally. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kaya, what is something that you think is overrated? What I think is overrated? I think yes. it's... um basically texting progress. So uh, I'll give you two examples what I mean by that. So I ha- I'm supposed to meet a friend in a restaurant and she arrives uh, five minutes early. So she texts me, I'm, I just got here. And then she texts me two minutes later, I'm sitting at the corner of the table. And then, you know, I come in and instead of looking for her, I text her, I'm here. And why all these extra texting? It's not really necessary. <laughs> or I live in New York City. We order food all the time. We order delivery. So, you know, you get confirmation when you order food. I guess that's good. You know, your order got in. Right. But then you get another text. Your food is being prepared. And then you get another one. Your delivery is on the way. And then usually like two minutes after it was delivered, you get a text saying, congratulations, your food was delivered. <laughs> right, right, right. Do we really need all of this? That makes me think, you know, like the constant progress alerts has to be something that I know, like in your book, you touch on like the idea that a lot of technology stuff is informed by like, like neuropsychologists too. And just the idea of like, what's going to get someone like, this is actually a feature that people want, even though we're like, do we? But I also get it in the age of such instant gratification that it's probably for the kinds of people who are like, well, what's going on with my order? Like, where is it? And then you can at least have, oh, okay, they've they're preparing it. Oh, okay. They have another stop along the way. Right. But it's a bit over the top because every time I get one of these texts, I just say, okay, the food is coming. My (laughs) kids will get dinner. I start looking at my emails and I start checking Facebook and now I've spent 10 Mm. minutes just because I got this extra text. Wow. It's also, it takes the responsibility off of the person to be like patient. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, like yeah. that and that makes like more face to face conversations and demands like much more terrifying <laughs> because people expect efficiency at their demand and at their service, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I was just <laughs> I'm just was thinking of recently it I was got like a 
like a like a like a delivery thing and it was like telling me they're like oh yeah this package will arrive in like five days from now four days from now i'm like yeah i knew that when you gave me the like you know expected delivery date and to that point i'm like maybe this is for a very specific kind of psychology that it's catering to because it certainly was not me gaia what's something you think is underrated uh, two things which are related, I think, alarm clocks and wristwatches. So mm. if I had an alarm clock, instead of using the alarm on my phone, instead of getting up in the morning in bed and picking up my phone and, of course, checking my email, three email accounts, my uh, social networks, um, WhatsApp, whatever, text, I could maybe just, you know, woke, wake up in a more normal way. But... I don't, I, I, I don't have a separate alarm. I'm dreaming about that. So one day <laughs> I get to get one. And yeah. another, another thing is a wrist, wristwatch. I, I don't want to have one either. I actually lost it three months ago and get a chance to buy a new, a new one. But so every time I want to know the time, again, I pick up my phone and I just describe what happens. So right. I think these are things that if they came back into fashion would be great. I know. That's why, like, the Apple Watch was, like, so insidious. Like, I got it in the beginning of the pandemic, like, as, like, a heart rate monitor, too, because I was, like, running more. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I can, I don't have to bring an iPod. I can, like, listen with my, like, with my wristwatch without, it's, like, less bulk. But to your point now, when I look at my wrist, it's for so much more than the time. And it's, yeah, the the amounts of information on offer from such a small <laughs> device is, it, it can definitely take your attention. Uh, when no, I was I a kid, that. I used to wear a wristwatch in like third grade and I was the only one who did. So I was like a little baby businessman and I always <laughs> needed it before I went to school. I was like, I'm going to be late, mother. Let's get there. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's all I have to offer to this. You're like, you're like, <laughs> well, no, we have plenty of time. Like, well, is your watch set to the atomic clock? Like mine? Because yeah. <laughs> we are behind. We yeah. have to go. That was, I. but it's funny. I also like wore a wristwatch too. Like was one of those like nerdy kids who just like to have like a watch. Like, yeah, it's. Like or be like a um actually type kid. We're like, oh, uh, we should actually go into recess because it's already like one thirty. <laughs> they did. Were not you like a that. roller backpack kid? No, rolly bags came out my junior year of high school. That's like okay. when we hit peak rolly bag. I'm a old, I'm an elder. So the earliest people <laughs> that I remember, there was this one girl I went to school with, Libby. She, I remember, she hurt her back, like like you know, playing in the yard or whatever. And the doctor told her she couldn't wear a backpack, so she had like a travel suitcase that she would That's bring around. So funny. And to us, we were like, that was the OG rolly bag was just bringing a travel suitcase around. Mm. I have thought about doing that at the grocery store before I got a car. I was like this close to bringing just a suitcase <laughs> to, the to the grocery store. <laughs> I love the efficiency. I love the efficiency. So, guy, wait. So, I love that you're like, you'd be great to have an alarm clock. Me myself don't have one. But I think it would be fantastic. What's I, I, I love like the sort of paradoxical relationship we all have with these kinds of things. We're like, that's what I need. Don't have one yet, but I feel it's something I could that could definitely help me. Yeah. Her name is Gaia, Mother Earth. She yes. wakes up with the sun. Okay, <laughs> calm down. I do wake up with the sun, but not because I want to, because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, let's uh, take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about some some really cool uh, Catholic fashion trends coming out of Rome right after this. Uh -huh. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Uh, over the weekend. Oh, we're back. Sorry. I'm rusty, folks. I've been on paternal leave, parental leave, uh, and I've this is my first time speaking with people over the age of uh, like seven weeks old. Uh, so this is helping me a lot I'm, as I slowly get back into this. We're back. <laughs> uh, but I want to get into our first story. So over the weekend, there was a huge splash on social media when an image of the Pope wearing a puffy white jacket came out, and it was the talk of many text threads and conversations between people I know who are Catholic and their Catholic parents who were like, see, he's pretty cool. Check him out. But turns out it was an AI generated image, which left many people sort of like in genuine shock. And this like the sort of journey of this image was it was first posted to the mid journey AI subreddit. And from there, you know, I think if anyone knew where it was, you go, oh, this is posted in the place where people are posting AI generated images. But there, there is a Reddit to Twitter pipeline that most people aren't maybe aren't aware of, where a lot of the content just gets ripped and then put on Twitter immediately, sometimes with no context or whatever. And then many people were like, what is going on here? The Pope looks fantastic. Or is he really wearing all that? But I think with anything, if you weren't looking on Twitter and you kind of looked at a bigger image, you could kind of see that there were some inconsistencies about just you know, physics or like light <laughs> or what kind of crucifix even the Pope would wear. But I was curious if you all saw this picture uh, and what your own uh, evolution of, of thoughts was with this. I saw it and I didn't think any thoughts. I just retweeted my friend's tweet that said dope Francis because I thought that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> dope and I also want to add some well, that was at Beth Borden. And then I also want to add some important context. She was she responded to her tweet with a, a comment from <laughs> reddit that was like my psalms are sweaty knees wheat cross is heavy last supper is ready it's lord spaghetti <laughs> by lebron james johnson on reddit oh, wow. so um i didn't think any thoughts i guess i don't have enough catholic friends i was just like that's a funny joke and i retweeted it because like 
what he's wearing has no effect on any policies or sure. any real thing. So I was like, this is dumb. But then later I was like, oh yeah, I do need to look at images more closely to know if they're AI, but eventually it's going to get to a point where we won't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this this kind of goes along with just like in the last week, there was like Elon Musk holding hands with AOC or Trump getting arrested. And like there's one of Macron also. <laughs> there's and, a lot of Trump makeout <laughs> images. Yeah, yeah. And like and with Trump, we know like that man is not uh, dynamic enough to ever cause a motion blur in a, in a still image. So I was like, this is AI. <laughs> this, my man is not my man is not that spry. OK, but again, with like a lot of people were saying that like some there is a maybe a reason why some people were quick to at first quite possibly believe that this was real because apparently there's a group of people that think that he like the pope is like very stylish and that there were rumors going around that he was like wearing designer loafers that the Vatican had to debunk because people were like well it's Rome it's like fashion is everywhere and like why wouldn't he and then while others were just like, I think it just goes part in parcel with like people's celebrity worship or the idea that just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's I'd, I'd believe that I buy that. Or because how oversaturated even images of celebrities look that these AI sort of imitations are just sort of hitting all ticking all these boxes visually that are sort of our guards come down. Gaia, what are your thoughts on on dope francis but it's interesting <laughs> i missed it but so sometimes i'm not inconsistent i actually follow what i preach so i try not to spend too much time on twitter so i didn't see it uh but i i agree with what you said basically i mean uh, this is going to be perfect i mean right now people can tell us ai but it's just a matter of time and then the question is how do you decide what's reality and what's real and what's not which has been an issue for a lot for quite a while with words but once you get into pictures uh, when you lose, when when artificial intelligence gets perfect, like ChatGPT will get perfect, that's when we really, really have a problem. Right. This is the image guy of just the of him in this like puffy jacket. Oh wow! <laughs> so this because it was so fashionable, everyone was like, "Oh, we love this. We love this." And again, like you're saying, guy, like it's imperfect right now. And many people pointed out these imperfections, like like hands. We've seen that chat, like all these AI have real trouble rendering like hands and legs, like the Trump arrest thing. Like he had like, he was like a quadruped, uh, like in that image. And then a lot of like other religious people were like, that is not the kind of crucifix the Pope would wear if they look at that. Or even like the way the glasses frames were blending into the shadow of it were like very, you know, keen-eyed people saw it but for most people who are just looking at an image like this on twitter or like on a passive scroll like to your point when they really dial things in it's truly gonna like the amount of like recon reconciliation that has to happen in your brain to be like what am i looking at is definitely gonna increase yeah and i guess when you think about it like what what is the damage i know there's some laws to regulate you know uh porn pornography deep fakes Mm -hmm. In some states, not not many of them, but to, uh, but there are all kinds of other harms that can be caused by just you know showing somebody in a place they would never wear, where they're not supposed to be with somebody they're not supposed to be with, and I'm not sure. I, it might again take years until something is done about that. Right. I wanted to ask your thoughts because you are in law and so accoladed within it. How? What about like the ramifications for like court-based evidence? Like already the justice system is so flawed. How are we gonna, you know, voicemail, voice notes, calls, images? All of these are used as evidence. How do we know what's going to be real and what's going to be presented to a jury? 
Right. So, but with every kind of evidence, there's always an analysis. You know, for example, when we started getting DNA evidence, it took a mm-hmm. while until it was accepted. The problem here is photographs are already accepted as evidence. Exactly. So, so you have to decide how you treat it. You sort of you start treating it as less reliable, and that's confusing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's only so that suddenly it's like I'm sorry, this video evidence is just not reliable because our ability to fake everything and it could absolutely be something that would you know absolve someone of of guilt or you know convict someone it's this this voicemail of joe biden saying the n-word uh on a call <laughs> oh is that the newest one <laughs> no like all the deep fake voices of the presidents they had him like singing like rap lyrics and, and it sounds like him you know like all of the the ai voice they have like a lot of like gamer videos of of Trump and Biden and Obama playing video games together and using their voices, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to to Ugh. talk shit to each other during a gameplay. <laughs> Content I never wanted. But I did yeah. hear one of a deep fake Trump and the one thing I was like they can't get his cadence right. Like yeah. the the tone of voice was right, but his way his manner of speaking I was like good luck for the person who has to like program the nuances of that speech to like into an algorithm because that's yeah, the Biden time. one was like was uh, there were TikToks of boomers being scared by their like millennial and Gen Z kids, like hearing Biden like say the N word and say all this like crazy stuff, and they were wow. like, "Oh my goodness!" Like you, the right, use right, of it right. in propaganda for election campaigns. Like by the time for this image, for example, like everybody saw it, and then no one saw the follow up story. You know that happens right. all the time when even you know human generated inaccurate headlines are produced. And then people don't see the corrections like the damage is already done. So what do we do then? Yeah. Slippery slope. But I mean, it sounds like, yeah, like as of now, you can kind of you can kind of tell because it looks like a trippy oil painting still. If you look real close, the skin's always shinier than it has to be. But yeah, that's actually how I look in pictures. It's just like a trippy (laughs) oil painting. And we know algorithms teach themselves, so they will learn eventually how Mm -hmm. to do it perfectly. It's, It's really a matter of time and not a lot of time. Until Trump yeah. will be perfect. Right. It's just, it's a, yeah, it really is a very interesting time because things are just, feel like they're just accelerating now at a speed that like the 90s, you're like, yeah, man, you heard a CD-ROM? And then it's like, mm-hmm. you don't need the caddy anymore. You can insert the CD disc straight in. That was like three years of time. And now we're going from like, hey, you can swap faces on Snapchat to like, you hear Joe Biden say the N-word on this phone call? Mm-hmm. And you're like, What? It's kind Uh, of interesting how we like will be reverting to like non-technical stuff because talking to that professor about the AI writing the essays, the only foolproof way of making sure people don't cheat is like because you can try to get more localized and specific with the topics, but eventually it's going to get to a point where you have to just like watch them write the essay in front of you on paper you know what i mean right and that's like reverting back to when we didn't have it like we use the technology so much it's irresponsible now we don't get to use it anymore (laughs) i think there'll be some advantages you know i've been sitting in classrooms teaching students on wi-fi for a while and i never understood why i have to compete against the internet why while i'm talking everybody can Mm. be shopping on instagram and actually if you cut down the wi-fi which is how people have to do exams so they won't be able to cheat and they'll have secure systems in their computers, that might be a place we should have gone earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it is true. I mean, like, I remember when I got to college, like, this was, this was like the beginning of laptops being just, you know, ubiquitous. Like, they were everywhere. And I remember, like, the first time I popped my laptop open in my uh, Spanish and Iberian history class, 
I was looking at nonsense and I hadn't was absolutely just missed the entire lesson because I was so amazed. But I was like, yeah, I can do it. I can multitask, quote unquote. But really, I was absolutely just distracting myself. Yeah, and doing virtual school here in New York City. I mean, kids were saying, how am I supposed to study? Everybody's playing games on their computers. I'm just watching the kid next to me on the, on, on the game. Right. Well, this next story, I think, is really interesting because we're talking about just sort of the, the speed at which we're moving towards, like, not needing human interaction really anymore. You know, virtual reality, or VR, as I remember it in the 90s, uh, was a real hook for people that were really interested in technology. You know, like it was in film and TV and video games and like sort of gave us this idea of like a world where all you had to put on was a goofy looking helmet and now you are experiencing a new reality. And it was like, I get I get that from that time, we're like, wow, the, the ability of computers is fantastic. This could be really be something. Anyway, fast forward to now where no one is interested in wearing a helmet to use Google Docs or living on a beach digitally or whatever. Yet a lot of the big tech companies are insisting that it's the wave of the future. Specifically, you know, Mark Zuckerberg completely took a big swing with the metaverse and ended up being not what he thought it was going to be. Because again, this was like a weird way from the way he saw it is like, this is a new way for people to work and toil. And I think most people who were on that side of the equation were like, no, don't don't want that. At all, actually, I, I'm fine with the way we're doing it. I'm actually less distracted without having to put on a VR headset and be in some like uh, emoji or like avatar based meeting or something like that. And now Apple is just they're going full steam ahead with their mixed reality headset. And people that have worked on the product are giving some insight now to how the internal design team thinks it's going to be. And it's not great. Quote, some company insiders have been wondering if the upcoming headset is a solution in search of a problem. Sources told the media outlet that, quote, unlike the iPod, which put digital songs in people's pockets and the iPhone, which combined the abilities of a music player and a phone, the headset hasn't been driven by the same clarity. And I can totally see that. Uh, I mean, not only that, it sounds like there are numerous like deserters of the project who are working on it, like at Apple, because they just felt that the end product wasn't going to live up to like what they think it's going to be while like other people have been fired because, you know, they failed to make certain features work. It's just when you look at it right now, we're in a landscape where this is not necessarily a booming market. Like Meta has had to slash the price of their top tier $1,500 headset by a third uh, to try and entice people. This Apple headset, you know how much it's rumored to be? $3,000. They are not going to Google Glass us. I am sorry. <laughs> that is not happening. I get that the Apple fans out there, they might be like, oh, yeah, I got it yesterday. But again, I'm, this does feel like this weird thing where I'm not really sure what this, how this is making anything easier or what the novelty is going to be. And it just feels like, again, like with all of our technology, if we're like, if in this world where maybe people were using VR more, I'd imagine we're just going to increasingly like more one dimensional forms of communication without much real human contact. You know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say if what's happening, like what happened with videos. Like for decades, people were saying we're going to have video conferencing and everything will be on video and nothing happened until quite recently, really until the pandemic, I would say nobody was really doing it. And I wonder if this is just some kind of delay and eventually they will find a way to do it. I mean, I would, I, I was worried about that. I was thinking, I mean, not only on our screens all the time, if we're completely in a different reality, There'll be no interaction between us whatsoever. 
Mm-hmm. But um, so I guess I'm relieved that this is delayed, but I'm not sure it will de- delay forever. Right. So do you think in a way, right, if, if in like the very cynical version is like we're on this very increasingly intense path where technology is going to make things easier or whatever, or communication streamlined, which really means less human interaction. And because of maybe that feeling of isolation, these headsets are going to offer us some feeling of like humanity again. Is that like maybe where it's going to like the hook point will return for it to like, hey, remember when you used to see people put this headset on? I feel like this is I mean, that's why it was invented is because of like rich people's playgrounds, right? Like they are isolated and they feel weird. And so they're like, how are we going to perform our manhunts on islands during the next pandemic? You know what I mean? Let's go <laughs> VR with it. But if you've ever used a VR headset, like I've played, I've done like games like at yeah. arcades and stuff with, and it like, it literally makes me throw up. Like some of them have been such unpleasant experiences, like f- fake roller coasters and stuff that I got like really sick after in a way that I never had gotten on like real roller coasters. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, some of it just feels, I feel like some of it could be used in Guantanamo is what I'm saying. Like, I feel like that's where the, this oh, is going to be weaponized eventually. For, tr- for true, yeah, for true psychological terror ops. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but guy, like, so how do you sort of see it evolving? Cause like, I think from our perspective right now is fr- we see it coming from like, a like an employer class that goes like, this is the future of work. You know, that's how meta was sort of, sort of centering the metaverse in the beginning was like, this is going to replace how you meet and how teams interact and things like that. And most workers were like, no, that's, this sounds like added sort of like added intensity or a level of connection that isn't necessary given that we're able to to work together online but how do you sort of see this evolution happening where we're like we're like yeah guess what everybody's got one of these now so you know i thought this was heading this way i was actually if you'd asked me you know six months ago a year ago i was sure this together with smart cities where we're connected everywhere and our phone is used for everything is where we're headed so I am surprised and I'm, I'm always wondering if what happened here is that people were somehow struck by the pandemic because they sort of felt, you know, there were lockdowns, they were at home. They felt what it means to be on their screen all the time, not seeing people. They felt how their bodies felt. They felt how their minds felt. And maybe they're realizing more than before because when I was speaking before the pandemic to people, it was mostly parents who were worried. And something has shifted. So I'm wondering if that's part of I, I'm wondering if it's technological issues or it's partly how people feel about it. And I really, really hope it's the latter. Mm-hmm. I feel like at the end of the day, we are people and we need human connection and our mm-hmm. brains will explode if we don't <laughs> have that. You know, we have access to all of these technologies, but at the same time, people really wanted to just go to restaurants during the pandemic and eat together. So. Right. Yeah. And hear like human laughter. And I remember so much how I longed to like eat with a group of people, like, you know, like eat off to- someone's plate. Like, let me try that, you know, and, like, yeah, to like get a hug so from someone, you yeah. know? Oh, man, that early days. I burst I into tears. <laughs> I was doing like turn away hugs from like my grandfather and stuff, like wearing all this PPE. I was like, all right, you got to go, man. You're almost 90. Like, can't, yeah, can't mess around. But again, it's true. Like, and and we'll get into this um, after the break when we talk a little bit about your book, Guy, because I do feel like we, we, we are in this experience as people where the technology is making our lives easier. And for the record, everyone like we're all no one here is like hates technology. 
But the thing that we're up against now is like we're starting to see how it's eroding at these like little things and increasing this feeling of alienation. And yet we still are using it like we just can't quit it. And, and your book sort of gets to the crux of that feeling. We'll talk about that right after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. So, you know, talking about your book, uh, Gaia, Unwired, you know, it basically gaining control over addictive technologies, it really struck me. Just because, again, for many younger people, like the allure of the smartphone isn't an obscure phenomenon. Like we talk constantly about unplugging and the benefits it's had on our own mental health, like just anecdotally amongst ourselves. Your book addresses sort of one of the main, I feel like, cycles of emotions many of us have uh, in relation to using screens where like we get motivated to use the screen less. And then we're like, oh, this feels great. Then we are sucked right back in and we feel like shit and it feels like like we kind of come down to like, I don't know, it's wild. Like I just lack the self-control is sort of like the, the, the final sort of sentiment people land on in like grappling with technologies as a new parent too. I'm just, again, very aware about screen time. And I also feel that like, there's a certain futility around it too, with a lot of parents where they're like, I don't know, you know, sooner or later, it's just going to be normal for them. And maybe I'm trying to delay the inevitable, but it also apps I've seen how much it can help you know put a kid at ease and allow somebody to do something else where where do you feel like parents and people kind of fit into this mix where we're like the world is spinning around us and we're like am I bad or what is happening like is are our brains meant for this or are we up against something a little bit more intense than we realized I think we're in an interesting place right now because we have a lot of information we have lots of information from whistleblowers, from the tech companies, telling us how tech companies are addicting us to keep us online for longer. But still, we keep blaming ourselves. 
Uh, we keep thinking it's our fault and we're unable to stop spending time online. We blame our kids. We blame our families. The problem is that that's exactly what the tech companies want us to do. And that's why they're giving us all these tools to make us feel like we're in control. So once the evidence came out that it's the that they are trying to addict us. They gave us these digital well-being tools. You know, everybody who has an uh, iPhone has this uh, screen time, so you know how much time you're online. Or you can even limit the time on your app, so you can make your phone gray. Or there, warn you can put warnings on Instagram and not to talk about parent parental controls, which are getting more and more complicated. And but the thing is. These are just there so we all feel like we are doing something, but they're not really there to make us succeed because they do not really change the most addictive features in our devices or in our apps. They are just there so we will think that it is our fault, exactly like you were describing. And again, how in in this world, right, if we're pivoting from it's not us because it's like, you know, you've likened it to like the tobacco industry. We're like, they know. They know it, they know it bad for everybody. But then the gaslighting starts and it's, I don't know about that. I mean, we know what's going on, but we're not going to actually cop to it. Do you see like a similar evolution where on some level, I mean, because I feel like if anything, like you're saying, like the markets and capitalism have a very good way of shielding themselves from like having the profits go down. So they'll find a way, like you're saying, to be like, no, no, you actually have control. It's not the, it's not the other things that were just identified clear as day by someone working on it. You have control now. You know, what, what, what does that sort of battle look like? I think we're fighting the battle in the wrong place now. We're fighting, fighting with ourselves. We're fighting with our families. I think we have to shift to the public sphere. And it, it is already happening. There's lots of action already taking place. Uh, there are parents suing social media for addicting their kids, causing mental harm, parents suing game manufacturers. There are things happening, but I... I think people have to understand it's not just for lawyers, it's for everybody because everybody can shift what they're doing to the collective sphere. Parents can go to schools. They have an influence about what schools are doing. Schools are now maximizing technology in the classroom because that's the federal policy. Well, this could be changed. You can decide whether something is useful in the classroom, if certain technology is useful or not. You can decide whether you want the kids to be on their cell phones during recess instead of talking to each other. So that's the, the spaces when you can change things. And you can change norms. Some things you're saying, you know, maybe it's already happening, but the new norms evolving every day, which are making it worse. I was on vacation with my kids and there was a family in the pool and my, my son was calling me to look at this. There were two girls, I think nine and 11, and the parents gave them these plastic pads to put the iPhones inside so they could use the iPhones in the pool <laughs> instead of playing. Now, you know, this is an evolving trend. Just like a few years ago, uh, it started to evolve to take the kids out with I iPads to a restaurant. Now, so many people are doing it. So there are ways to, I, I think things are going to change. I think there's going to be lots of legal action and tech companies will be restricted in what they could do, but it will take some years. So things people can do things as business owners. I mean, in New York City, all the airports, if you go to an airport, 
there are four iPads on every table. There is no way you could have a conversation there. So this is architecture for overuse. You can change. If you own a restaurant, you can change. You don't have to use iPads. You don't have to use QR codes. So people take out their phones the moment they sit down. So I think there are lots, once people are aware, there are lots of things they can do uh, until things will change. And I do believe they're already starting to change. Mm. Have you heard of like the third spaces concept or theory about how there needs to be a place for people outside of like work and the home for them to like gather and to exchange information and, you know, basically develop culture? I think a lot of people are saying that the phones are now teenagers and kids third spaces because a lot of other third spaces have become unsafe and and inaccessible to them. For example, my friend posted about how in New York, when she was growing up, it became illegal for kids under 18 to go hang out at the mall. And apparently that's a, a thing that's been happening a lot. Whereas when I was growing up, that's where we would go and hang out with our friends. We'd go yeah. to the mall, we'd hang out, you'd go to Jamba Juice. You'd like, I'd uh, try not to leave the bookstore with too many purchases, <laughs> you know, like you, you'd hang out, but now it's considered like loitering or whatever, like a lot of these external places that are meant for cultural exchange and, you know, kids to grow up are becoming unavailable to them. And also, honestly, with like mass shootings and all of that, like people get more scared of going out in public and it seems to be safer to have them just like inside on their phones, which it isn't necessarily, you know, there are other risks with that. So I think it would be, I, I like how you highlighted it, that it's going to be an effort on these places and these people who are in charge of those areas, because it really does require a cooperation between them and between the companies that are like forcing their technology on people. Yeah. And I think a lot of municipalities can do a lot because they can create spaces for people to hang out in, for kids to walk to. If you have places to be together, it's very different than if you go home after school and sit in your bedroom with your phone because the statistics are quite shocking. I mean, kids are meeting, I think, 50% less than they yeah. used to be in the 80s and partying, I think, 30, 33% less. So basically, they're not getting together. So you can, by design, create spaces for people to get together. So, I mean, if you think about bars that have no cigarettes today, this seems so implausible, you know, right. before it happened. And things look different now. Can you think about a bar without every person having their phone next to them? Yeah, it's, it's it feels like, in a way, like, almost futile to try and reverse things. In, like, in a way, because, yeah. I'll, like, for example, uh, one of the last concerts I went to, like, amazing show. And there are people experiencing the concert through their cell phone, like I having hate to record, so much. like watching the that record. They're like, you, yeah, such a pet peeve of mine. I saw Tom Petty in in person, and I was in like the first or second row, and this girl next <laughs> to me literally was on her phone, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is such a great song to delete pictures to." And I was like, yeah. "Tom Petty is on stage right now, <laughs> right?" Or <laughs> like, that we've lost the ability, like even like with the example of people like in a pool, right, like that swimming isn't enough on some level that like the just being able to play in the water is not like stimulating enough that we're now adding like, well, what if we augmented that with some like audiovisual stuff too? that I'm like, 
because again, I think this is what feels difficult for for people like even myself. I was I remember when I got uh, my last vaccination, I forgot my phone in the car. And then when you go in there, you got to wait like 20 minutes after like for them just to chill out. And I was like, first, I was panicked because I'm like, I haven't had to wait without my phone in ages. And I there was a moment of sincere like fear, not fear, but like I was I became uneasy and I didn't like that. I felt so disarmed to just exist in a space without a fucking screen to look at. And it was funny because I sat down in the chair, like in the, you know, pain relief medicine aisle. And I was just doing, I was, I felt like a kid again. I was like, I'm just going to, I'm like reading all the labels. No, I'm just like, I'm going to read all the labels. That's if I got, if I got 20 minutes to kill, I'm going to start reading labels and just start being in my own thoughts again. And it was interesting how foreign that felt to me. Even though I was, you know, I was born in the 80s, like I'm an older millennial. I grew up in the pre-internet time too, which felt like the most, like all humans are probably wired to want to do this and connect to other people. But we've definitely, it's become so normal that to the point where feeling human is, feels foreign. And that's what's really scary to me. I don't think we're going to go back in time, but I think we can balance things better. Imagine if you went to a concert and the concert hall said no phones. So nobody could take out their phones to take pictures. Maybe the phones will be in their bags. That is changing the norms in a way that could be done. And I think right. it will affect everybody. But I guess like in there, right, there's an argument to say like, well, if, if someone actually needed to contact me during it, then that would be like, why would, how would, like, how do you find a way that makes it so it's not just sort of like across the board, no phones, but we're able to. Like, I guess that's the hard part. Is I like, guess there are benefits. No phones for taking see. for sorry. No phones for taking pictures of the show. You can yeah. have your phone with you. But it, oh, I but think if some you raise museums, a phone, yeah. someone will be like, "Hey, yeah, hey, hey, hey. yeah that's right. true." Yeah. At museums, they do that too. Like, I tried to take a picture of a painting recently, and they're like, "Ah, oh, no, no, no." Yeah, like, but so, it's yeah. also like that painting is going to be online. Nobody's going to oh, take yeah, it. Like, yeah. the, I don't need to take a picture of that painting. Yeah. Uh, one thing that helps me is like literally spending more time with people and like making an effort to do that to like leave my home and go spend time with people i'm trying to do that like once a day because i work remotely and then the other thing is like i have dogs and when i walk them one of them's a little monster and he will try to eat stuff and so i have to like pay attention and now i'm like i know where all the good sticks are you know i know where all the great grass is i'm like going back to when i was a kid and i was just outside playing with my dogs and it's so nice to take a walk outside when it's sunny here in LA (laughs) and be with my pets, you know, and talk to people who have pets and connect with them that way, you know, so having things and people around you that that take you out of your head and like give you an external like grounding to community is so important. That's why I love like mutual aid and like physical activities that like help with community things, because that really nourishes a part of you that cannot be nourished in the same way through a screen. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've like in the same way, like walking around my neighborhood and doing the unthinkable of talking to a stranger has been the one thing yeah. that I've felt really balances things out because there was a, I saw a recent study that like the people have a sincere fear of small talk falling apart. And like they like people just have a, an eight sense like that if people begin small talk and the conversation goes south that it's suddenly on them. And like people get their own anxiety of not being able to like keep up small talk, which is wild because on sometimes you're just exchanging pleasantries and it doesn't have to be more than that. But I feel like there's like these certain small things you can be doing, but at the same time we're developing like also bad habits around how we communicate too. It's also crazy because everybody has a podcast. So how are they scared of small talk? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that's Sorry, true, guy, that's I interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it's also bad for people's well-being because there are studies which are showing that people's happiness is not just about a long-term relationship, but also about these most small interactions, exactly the small talk, this eye contact and a smile that really change the way your brain works and makes you feel much better. And if you're not doing that, and if you're just walking in the street with your phone, looking uh, at your pictures, answering texts, and you're missing all these opportunities, which somehow just makes you feel drained and tired and not good at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Just when it comes to policy, I feel like there's a difficult path ahead. You know, I mean, like we saw how seriously they took privacy in Europe. The U.S. is a little bit behind, a lot behind, like say for maybe like California and uh, a couple other places, but. Like in just in the with the recent hearing on TikTok, it, it's so clear, at least in that the narrow context of that hearing, like they just weren't even will, able or willing to discuss the broader problems with social media. And it became sort of this like very TikTok specific thing. While we've seen, to your point, whistleblowers at like Facebook, et cetera, say like these are real issues. They've had hearings, but then we're not quite seeing the follow through what you know, what kind of like policy proposals are out there or do you think are would actually benefit people in a way that sort of gets to the heart of, you know, like our overuse of technology, obviously knowing the parts that it's helped make things easier for us, but also addressing like the bigger issues of, you know, feeling increasingly isolated and things like that. Yeah. So I think, first of all, the issue with TikTok is complicated because it just brings out completely different issues related to China and it just yeah, yeah. it's sort of murking the whole debate. Yeah. But there have been a lot of bills, both federal and state, trying to get, first of all, the addictive features of the phones. Because there's some features on our phones which are really up to no good. What are those for my own <laughs> what is that? The the flashlight? <laughs> the flashlight is actually okay. <laughs> the flashlight is useful. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, for example, streaks on Snapchat. Mm, uh, yeah. They are there for nothing but to get you to go back to the platform. So kids have to send uh, kids, I don't think many adults use it, but you know, they have to send a streak to their friend. And they, if they get one within 24 hours, they've established a streak and they keep accumulating them, and then they have a number. Uh, let's say right. 134, they have special badges and they have older friends going to the number of streaks. Now, there's no requirement for any content in these streaks. So you just have to make sure you send it. Why? Because you go to Snapchat and you see the ads. And if the kids miss a day, they lose everything and they lose all their friends. And that's why they get so upset when the parents take away their phone because they, for them, it's a huge thing. So. Right. All these these kinds of features, like Snapstreak, you had just there to make you go back to the app or the device, are not needed. And I, there right. are bills which are trying to outlaw these kinds of features. Of course, the problem is they'll always come with new ones because mm-hmm. the whole business model is based on our time and our data. They need us to be there for as long as possible so they can collect more data on us, so they can target advertising at us. And again, we have to be there for longer so we can see the ads. So that's why I think it's not just one thing, not just one law, not just one wonderful Supreme Court case. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen from a mixture of things that are going to happen, like 
you have the antitrust losses against big tech. That's if, for example, the merger between them, um, right now Meta owns Facebook, it owns WhatsApp, owns Instagram. If they're broken up and there's more, more innovation, more competition, we might see a bis- different business model, which are not based on our time. So, so that's another thing that's happening. I think, as I said earlier, I think the policy about maximizing technology in the school has to change because if Minecraft is homework, then how can you prevent your kid from playing Minecraft at home? <laughs> there are, so there are lots of them. And then there's class actions. And if you look back at cigarettes, you know, we know cigarettes are bad, but it took decades to change things. It took class actions and it took advertising and it took uh, uh, warnings. And, and this, is, this is going to be the same. It will take a lot of things at the same time. For example, let's say we have ratings for addictiveness. You know, right. so many parents download games for their kids thinking, oh, Minecraft is an educational game. If they could see before they download this high rating for addictiveness, they may not do that. But not only that, the games company may change the game because they want people to download the game. So they might take the addictive features out by themselves. So it's a matter of pressuring from many directions to move things. Right. And when, and like when you talk about cigarettes, I know like the earlier studies are like maybe in like the 50s where they knew. Where do you think we are? Like if uh, the first studies come out, it's like, oh, it's bad. Shh. Are we close to like the truth.com era of like anti-smoking ads or are we like a decade away? How I mean, I guess with now everything is moving faster. So maybe what took, you know, decades before might take seven years i don't know well i think what changed with cigarettes not you're right the first studies came out in the 50s 1964 the surgeon general announced it's a health hazard it's amazing it took so long considering how bad cigarettes are right but from then on we saw you know advertising we saw warnings things took a while but it started shifting our problem is right now we are still in the science wars we do not have you know big governmental organizations saying this is bad, especially for children where the evidence is in. We just have partial recommendations for small kids about screens. I think we have, we have so much data over the last two or three years that I think we're at a place where medical organizations, governmental entities can make these proclamations. And from that moment on, policy can proceed faster. And we already have a lot of action in place. So I, I hope that yeah, things will move faster than with cigarettes. I think it will take some years. And that's why I think it's so important what people do in their communities, how they change their business norms, how they change their schools, because things have to happen at the same time. Otherwise, it it affects all of us, not to mention a whole generation of kids already in front of screens for decades, plus a pandemic. Right. It's interesting that you were talking about this now because 10 years ago when I was in, well, a little bit more than 10 years, when I was in college, people were failing out of a very great college for Minecraft. Like it was a joke about how many students would fail because of their addiction to Minecraft specifically. So it's interesting that you use that and that they haven't really changed much, it seems like, in the last you know decade. Yeah, yeah why I- change? It's a winning formula. What yeah. and what do you kind of say? Because I like to 
you know, people that are frustrated, parents that are frustrated who are like, am I fucking up? Like, am I bad? Because what would you say to Miles? Yeah, I mean, no, my, my kid is too young, although he loves the Sopranos. I'm going to say that whenever I'm bottle feeding him. He turns his head. I'm like, I don't know, it must be the lights or the mob talk. Uh, but like, what do you, what, I mean, because I think, again, there is this feeling of like, it feels so personal that, too, when you talk to other parents about screen time, like, hey, what the fuck do you want me to do, man? Like, it's, I got a lot going on. This is, this, this works. And I get that there is this internal sense of like responsibility, but then feeling helpless because there is like a, what am I going to do thing? What do you say to people who are sort of like in that mental space and like how to sort of emerge from that or at least to begin to look at the situation with a little more like context? So I'll start with you, Miles, since you have a very small yeah. baby. So I think I've, for you, it's easy because you can just decide not to give your baby screen. The studies are in the, the smaller child where the baby is, the worse it is. And you have control. Mm -hmm. So, and I think people have a lot of control all the way through elementary school. The so I think parents can really limit kids' screen time. The issue becomes when they get to middle school because social life is in social networks and you can't really isolate your child. And right. that's when it becomes a problem. And you can do things in the meantime. You can, I, you can model. I mean, I try when I'm home and all my kids are here, so I don't have to worry. I try to put the phone somewhere away from me. And so you, you can do things and you can do small things for yourself. You know, again, when I work, because I am, as I mentioned, I'm as addicted as, as all of us, despite everything I know, I always put my uh, phone on 20 minutes uh, timer and I write for 20 minutes and then I check my emails and I do this again. There are things you can do and, and you can also and kids remember the pandemic. They remember how they felt. So you can talk to remind them how they felt horrible at that time and how they felt much better when they saw people. So you can make a difference. You cannot force an older kid not to do that. It's not going to work. Right. I mean, and also they're smarter than us. With technology, they'll always beat us. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So I, I think it's a combination of doing what you can and... While also and, realizing this the broader situation too. Right, like, not blaming yourself is the most important thing because that that is the problem now that people are sitting there and thinking it's all their fault. Right. Instead of, we're, yeah. we're like in I the have, plastic straws debate where we're like, uh, actually, what about, no, it can't be down to my level. What about the companies that are actually the ones that are steering all of this? And I think that is an important thing to sort of recenter like in the in the conversation. I have um, a couple comments to make on that. I do think that like watching kids, because I, I tutor a lot of kids and like watching them, I feel like overall with technology, just like with life, like you, you really do have to like raise them the way that you think you should raise them and then try to be as involved as you can without being overbearing and allow them to like make their mistakes. And then you kind of have to hope that like those values that you passed on to them guide their use of technology as well and that they come to you when they're scared or they like need help with something it seems like to me i'm not a i'm a parent to dogs so i don't have to worry about this um but we did <laughs> yes. watch the puppy bowl and they were addicted um but i also the other thing is you're talking about how you don't have to worry about it with smaller children but facetime is how i stay connected with my nephew and i know plenty of people that purposefully like facetime family members, like their infant children, just so that they hear the voice, they see the face, then they start associating that face with the screen, 
you know, with the, the good feelings with the screen. But that's the only way like I can keep in touch with him because he's it's such a, a long distance. And right. I know that's slightly different than games and stuff. But I also worry, I worry about that, you know. I think it's a great example because it's important to also remember that not all screen is made alike. I right, think, right. you know, connecting with people over FaceTime is a great thing, especially relatives yeah. who live away. Uh, you know, being able to read the New York Times or any news is different. The problem becomes when you're selling things as educational games and people mm. are playing them and they get all these dopamine bursts from playing or social networks. You get the dopamine bursts from the comments and the likes. So there's a big difference between games and social networks or or YouTube where the one short video, you know, ends right. and the next one starts and and talking to grandma on FaceTime. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's but I mean, these are all things like like you said, like Pallavi, like you have concerns. Like I was like talking to my dad on FaceTime who was like not able to see my son and for and you I mean, he's not really able like he can't my son can't see enough where he's like actually yeah. associating all this too. But to your point, like how the beginnings of your relationship to the screen begins and 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 guy, you also mentioned this too, like like not using the phone in front of the kids too, because I've seen my other friends do that where they're trying to say, like, I don't want my kid to think that when you're not doing something, you look at your phone or that that's that's what is mm -hmm. normal. Like you can be active or you can do other things or you can like read a physical book. But some I've heard people say, like, I don't want my kids like early memories of like me being like, I'm looking down at this like glowing rectangle and they begin yeah. to see that that is like sort of the most normal thing. Obviously, you know, we have to use our phones, but I get that they're like it's it's all very subtle uh in how like kids begin to like see what's normal or not normal. Yeah, and I think you know that yeah, the studies show that parents who are heavy users, their kids are also heavy users of the phone. On the other hand, it's hard, you know, you're, you're there but you're using your phone because you're texting your babysitters and you can't find a babysitter and you're texting another. So it, it's it's not so easy. It's not, there's no perfect solution. We're right. not living in a perfect world for this. So we can just try our best, but it's not, um, there's, there's no easy way out right now. Right. I think that sums up so many of what we're experiencing in this like present moment. Can I just say something that might help this story come full circle? Yes. Um, I just saw an article that said Pablo Xavier, a 31-year-old construction worker from the Chicago area, said he was tripping on shrooms last week when he came up with the idea for Pope Francis's puffy jacket image. <laughs> <laughs> so he was out in the world he was tripping the world. on drugs, yes. experiencing community and nature and stuff when he Light came bulb. up with it. <laughs> oh. See, this is, the things it'll do to, to your nature. brain, you know, just yeah. small talk with people. <laughs> but again, I think, yeah, important that we understand that it's like this very complex issue where it's such a double edged sword where it's given us things like being able to connect with people when we need to and in ways that are much better than just like talking over the phone or writing something. But at the same time, there's also this like commodified, monetized, you know, use of technology that is purely built on extracting as much eyeball time from you as possible and you know not reckoning with that is creating a bit of a slippery slope but uh that's why i thank you so much professor guy bernstein for stopping by uh the daily zeitgeist um where can people find you and your work and and read more from you if they would like to so my website is guybernstein.com 
And my book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, every, every place you would normally purchase your book. Fantastic. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, no, no. You classed up the joint uh, with your expertise. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and is there any work of social media or anything that you would like to point to that you were enjoying? If not, it's all it's I get it. We're we're trying to get enjoying is not the right word, but um, <laughs> I've been looking. I'm Israeli, and there's been lots going on. The protests. And yeah. my best friend sent me a video of her and thousands of women dressed as the uh, Handmaid's Tale costume because there's a big constitutional. Um, reform attempt, which will also undermine the, the rights of uh, women, LGBTQ people. So I look at this video a lot, and I'm happy to be able to see this video, even though I was not there. And I still wish I was there with everybody. So. Yeah, it shows you what uh, what a general strike can do, too, because I believe uh, Netanyahu said he's going to delay that plan as a result of that. Hey, collectivism works, you know, general strikes Try them out, America. Uh, and Pallavi, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you and follow you, see you, all that? And what's a tweet that you like? I'm at Pallavi Ganalan everywhere. Good luck spelling that. I'm tired of spelling it out. I've been doing a lot of stand-up <laughs> lately, so come see me perform. Because I don't want to, as a content creator, have to post to Instagram every day so that a reel will pop off so I can just be on stage surrounded by people. I don't like that either, that I get punished for not posting everything all the time. <laughs> I am so I'm so tired of it. I uh, My favorite tweet, This have you seen Banshees of Inishirin? No, it's on my list though. Oh my God, it is so good. Yeah. Uh, but it's about it. a friendship falling out. Mm -hmm. And there was an image of the two main characters, you know, in that from that movie. And then someone tweeted, I just don't want to do laundry and taxes with you no more. <laughs> it's about him breaking up his friendship. And then someone else uh, quote tweeted that with nothing, nowhere, never happening again. And I thought wow. that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nowhere. And that was at Cine Sienna in Dublin and at Runs with Skizzers. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find me at Miles of Gray on Twitter and Instagram. I've been I, I don't know anything whatever i liked on i haven't i'm not i haven't looked on I, I oh i like all the messages people have sent me on instagram uh welcoming me back that has been fantastic i, I really appreciate all the listeners reaching out with your kind words uh and reminding me that i will know how to say footnotes uh when the time does come uh you can also find jack and i on our basketball podcast miles and jack got mad boosties also i'm on 420 day fiance we'll be coming back soon uh where sophia alexander and i talk about our favorite reality show 90 day fiance uh you can find us at daily zeitgeist on twitter at the daily zeitgeist on instagram We've got a facebook fan page and a website daily zeitgeist.com where we post our episodes and our footnotes probably one time footnotes F footnotes thank you uh, where you can find the, you know, the articles that we talked about as well as the song we are going to ride out on. What song is that? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Today, we are going to go out on uh, this track called Grateful by L. Michaels Affair with Black Dot rapping over it. L. Michaels Affair is a great band. I love all their instrumental music. Black Dot, Dot is the goat, you know, when he starts rhyming. This track is really dope. It's, it's heavy. If you like Black Dot, you're going to like this. If you like hip-hop, you got to check this out. And even if you don't, it's a good track. It's called Grateful, uh, which we are, for sure. L. Michaels Affair and Black Dot. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. We're going to be back later with to tell you what's trending and then tomorrow with a whole new episode. So until then, just so you know, this is a production of iHeartRadio. So for more podcasts, check out the iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. All right. Talk to you then. Bye.
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.